Thank you, Pastor Anthony. In fact, that trip in February when I went to uh, Chiang Mai, more to share about what God uh, has done in Singapore concerning the Deaths for Life movement. And uh, when I came back, within two weeks, they formed a task force and they're going to launch their Deaths for Life Chiang Mai in November this year. So, you know, because earlier I talked to Pastor, I know that missions is on his heart. Um, today, I'm going to touch on the first of the four-part series, Turning Hearts of Parents to the Children. Um, so I thought, let's take a look at my own family. Let me introduce to you the Wong family. I have two children. This photo was taken a few years ago. My daughter is now 28 years old. My son is 23 years old. Do you think my son is taller than me or shorter than me? <laughs> yeah, 10 centimeters taller. I have to look up to him. Uh, I remember I showed this photo some years back when talking to a group of parents in the school. At the end of that uh, workshop, uh, father came up to me and said, Jason, I thought um, you said you have two children. How come I saw three children in the photo? Uh, I said, no, 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 that's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> so I went home, I told my wife about it. She kept smiling for the rest of the evening. Yeah, so quite easy to make your wife happy. Now, since this is a family series, I thought I should say something about family. Whenever we talk about family, usually we think about this sentence. Family is an important building block of society. Family is the foundation. Family is the uh, basic uh, uh, foundation of a nation. You know, I find it uh, very long-winded. Uh. Family is the basic building block. Family is the foundation of a nation. I like the Chinese version. Just two words. Guajia. You see the word jia inside already. Right? In the past, they say, Because nation is important. Because with a nation, strong nation, then you can protect the families inside. But I would say, Without the family, how can you have a strong nation? In fact, if family is the basic building block, of the nation, then if all the building blocks are strong, then the nation will be strong. In fact, family is also the basic building block of a church. If every family that walk into the church on a Sunday is strong, the church will be very strong. How did I start having this passion burden uh, for family? I would say I have to go back to many years ago. I was just a young man. I walked into the prisons. I spent 17 years there after that as a prison officer, not as a prisoner. Uh, initially, I was very curious. I know a young prison officer, you know, Changi Prison, 2,400 prisoners, and every day I look at the tattoos on the body, you know, is it dragon, is it tiger, is it salakao, is it 2-4, is it Kuntong? is it omega, you know, uh, it's an occupational hazard, right? I need to understand the tattoos. And after that, I got tired of that, then started to ask them about their, yeah, where do you get your drugs? How much does it cost? <laughs> what about the gun? Where do you hide your weapons? Um, and after a while, I got tired of that. And I started to ask them about their family, their childhood, their mom, their dad. What happened at home? And just by talking to a number of them, I joined the dots. I told myself I wasn't even married then. I said, if I ever become a father, ever become a parent, a husband, I must make sure I take ownership of building my own family well. You know, this sentence, family is an important basic building block of society. Is it even biblical? When we say family is the foundation of a nation, can we even find a verse in the Bible that backs up this sentence? I think we can find it. In fact, we can go all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 27, 28. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And of course, everything else. And God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, 
be fruitful. You know, our government also say, be fruitful. But it didn't come from our government, it came from God. Recently, there's a data uh, in the newspapers. Uh, we are really running short of babies. Um, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, if I can unpack this, because it's so important. The order of relationships. God created man. That means there is a God and man relationship. And we are created in His image. You know, parents, how many parents are here? Now, do you have uh, a, a time where, when, when your children were young, especially, you know, newborn after a couple of years, and then uh, your friend said, hey, your, your son look like you. Uh. Hey, hey, no, your son also look like you. Uh. Our children are in our image. But yet we are created in God's image. That means we are God's children. We are meant to have a relationship with Him. And then God created male and female, husband and wife, right? Male and female, father and mother. And after that, God told man and woman, be fruitful. So that is another relationship. Once we have children, there's a parent-child relationship, children and parent relationship. And out of that, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. It's a bit like left leg and right leg. I always say it's a bit like left leg and right leg. The left leg are all these three key relationships. The right leg is that go and have dominion, go and rule over, go and plant churches, go go to the mission field, go and chong, go and have a career, grow the church. But if our left leg is not strong, sooner or later we will pull back. The home front is so key. That's why it's the foundation. If our God-man relationship is not strong, man-woman relationship is not strong, children-parent relationship not strong, now let me even simplify it, simplify it further. Upstream, midstream, downstream. is it? is it? My Chinese is terrible. But anyway, you get the idea. Downstream, midstream, upstream. Let me explain this. Um, there was a time a couple reached out to me through a friend. They were having problem with a son, a teenage son. So as they talk about their son, they really want some advice how to help the son. After listening to them, I thought, wow, this one needs a professional. So I said, I think I can recommend a counselor for your son. But as they were talking to me, I also very curious. You know, if the son is like that, maybe let's find out about the daughter. And so they explain about what's happening to their daughter. I said, oh, I think your daughter needs a psychologist. I can recommend one. And after talking for a while, some more, I realized during the conversation, the body language, the vibes between the husband and wife, you know, um, so I decided, since I'm there, I might as well ask another question. Okay, we'll talk about your son, we'll talk about your daughter. Can you tell me about your marriage? How is your marriage? And then, of course, he said, that, I mean, usually between husband and wife, I look at the man, right? The man, the head of the household, I look at the man. Even though I ask the question, how is your marriage? I look at the man for the answer. And he said, uh, uh, we're here to talk about children. We, 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 we do have to talk about our marriage. I said, no, since we have time, why don't you tell me what, how's your marriage? And he said, uh, normal, normal, just like other couples. I said, normal, explain normal. Then he said, the usual quarrel. Then I press in some more, how often? And then he said, three, four times, look at the wife, you know, he said, three, four times. I said, a month? He said, oh, no, a week. Isn't that normal? I said, no, three, four weeks, uh, three, four times a week is not normal. Maybe for you it has become normal. And then I press in further, since it is downstream, midstream, upstream, right? I mean, talk, he talked about children, midstream, talk about the marriage. Now let me talk about upstream. How is your relationship with God? How is your quiet time? How is your devotion? How is your Bible reading? How is your prayer life? And you know what the husband reply was? He looked at me and said, 
Jason, we got time. I'm so busy. See my children like that. I have to work. I have to feed the family. And then I brought them to Genesis chapter 1, the same verses that we read out earlier. I told them about the, the three key relationships. I said everything flows from upstream. If we are not focusing on our relationship with God, it will affect our marriage. If we are not focusing on our marriage, it will affect our children. And so they got the idea. Now, since today we are talking about turning hearts of parents to the children, it's very much a downstream topic. I would like to read to you Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Of course, certain versions talk about fathers, turning hearts of fathers to the children and children to the fathers. Now, let me describe it this, this way. Hearts of parents are supposed to be turned to the children. Hearts of children are supposed to be turned to the parents. But quite often, hearts of parents are turned away. Turned towards what? Career, work, um, football. Of course, when they work with the prisoners, vices, drugs, gangs. More recently, Coldplay, Taylor Swift. Okay, okay, children also uh, turn away uh, to their friends, to whatever, their peers. and uh, But sometimes hearts are also turned against each other. And when that happens, hearts will be turned away. Or worse still, hearts will be turned against. That's why the land is cursed. That's why society is cursed. The foundation is weakened. But if hearts can be turned towards each other, if the two generations, three generations, our hearts are turned towards each other, it will flow down to the land, to society, and be a blessing to the nations. Now, one of the things I realized that have caused hearts of parents to be turned away or turned against the children and resulting in the children turning away or against the parents is, is this. Let me introduce this uh, idea to you. Love-based parenting versus expectations-based or fear-based parenting. In Singapore, I think it's quite a, a prevalent uh, issue. But before I go any further, let's watch this video. <laughs> oh, Devoji, he got his A-level results. Uh, tell me the worst. No, 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 it's great news. He got what he needed. Let me see, let me see. English A, Mathematics A, Physics A, Chemistry A. What is this? What? Aha! What, he got a B in classical studies. He got a B? It doesn't matter. What do you mean it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. My son got a B. It's only one. Still, it's a B. He could have got all A's. Mr. Sena's son got all A's, but my son had to get a B. Mr. Sena's son only did two A-levels. Our son did five in one sitting. He's the first in his school ever to do that. Really? Yes. Then he is going to school full of idiots. Why am I going to keep my head up in the community? Hmm? My son got a B. He got the grades to do medicine at Cambridge. He is doing medicine at Cambridge? Yes. Idiot! He should be doing PhD! You don't let you do a postgraduate without a degree. I know. That's why I was telling him to do his degree in his spare time. What is wrong with him, huh? Mr. Khanna son is getting BSc. My son is only doing A-levels, eh? Too busy playing football. 
He got into the Millwall first team. Millwall, Millwall, Millwall. Mr. Owen's son is getting into Liverpool. My son can only get a place in Millwall. He will bring shame to the family. But Liverpool wouldn't give him a trial. And why is that? Because he's six. <laughs> Enough. A friend sent this uh, video to me some years ago. When I first watched it, I laughed just like you. And after a few seconds, I realized I was laughing at myself and many other parents like me. Now, expectations is not a bad thing. Our parents have expectations of us. We have expectations of our children. However, if it is so high that our children cannot reach. Let me show you this diagram. Expectations-based parenting creates fear, shame, and guilt. If there's expectations, of course, we need to perform. We need to jump. Must be high enough, you know, to reach the goals. But if we cannot reach it, I'm so disappointed with you. And what's going to happen is I will feel guilty. I will feel shame. I disappointed my parents, you know. Let me dramatize it a little bit more. Come on. I'm sure you can do it, son. Come on. Your friends can. How come you cannot? Your cousin also can. What's wrong with you? I'm sure you can do it. Never mind. Next month, try again. Next assessment, exam is coming. Try again. Still cannot. I don't know what's wrong with you. Try harder. I'm so disappointed with you. And as a son, as a child, as a daughter, I disappointed my parents. I feel shame. I feel guilty. How come they can? How come I cannot? What's wrong with me? The next time I take the exam, I dare not go into the class because what if I fail? After I take the exam, uh-oh, I dare not go home and show my parents the results. Full of fear. And the cycle go round and round and round. Now, I must tell you, I'm not a perfect father. I, I have to learn along the way. If you take a look at this photo, that's me and my daughter. My daughter is 28, so this was taken when she was just gotten her PSLE results. So my wife took the photo. Look at our faces. What do you think? Is it a happy results or good results, bad results? Happy results, happy result. yes. 2A plus and 2A, not bad, you know. And then she went into a very good school, skip O-level. You know, only the top 10, 20% will skip O-level. IP program, in those days, one of the first batches went through the IP program, but that was when all hell broke loose. Eh? And she started to deteriorate. Also don't know why, from the top 10, 20% become the bottom 10, 20%. When you're called up by the school, that means either you're very good or you're very bad. And then my daughter said, Dad, what's wrong with me? You know, my friends never study, also can get good marks. I study so hard, also cannot. I was wondering, I also don't know that I'm a government scholar. Can't be my genes, maybe your mother's genes. <laughs> no, I never say that. But sometimes... When things like that happen, you start to find what's the issue, what's the problem, is it a tuition teacher, is it me, is it you, is it you? But then I believe in love-based parenting. I believe in seeing my daughter as God has gifted her. So I tried to encourage her. I said, girl, you know, you're not good in math, not good in science, not good in... Then she said, dad, I know, can you please jump straight to the point? What are you trying to tell me? I said, but you good with children, what? At the cell group, is it all the little, uh, 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 little, you know, friends always come to you and say you want to play with Jete. And then you're compassionate, right? You're full of compassion. You always tell me your friends got problem, come and ask you for, for, for help, for counsel. And you have leadership. You're the vice captain of your school team. Then she felt better. And then reality sets in. That 
I know I'm good in all these things, but the school never give marks for all this. Say that's true. Huh? The school never give marks if you're good with children, right? You volunteer in the children's church, nobody gives you marks for that. Compassion, no marks. Leadership, mm, not really. But I wanted to encourage her. I said, in life, these are life skills. These are life skills, very important. Well, she struggled through, managed to clear JC1, did her A-levels in JC2. Then after the exams, I thought before the results come out, better sit down with her and process what she's going to do with her life. Girl, since you like children, I tell you what, early childcare, a lot of jobs. You like children, right? And she said, yeah, okay, daddy, I will try. So I called up a friend, principal of a kindergarten, went there for three, four weeks. At the end of it, sat down with her. Girl, what do you think? Childcare sector, lots of jobs, right? You love children, right? Say, dad, I love children, but too many children, I cannot take it. Uh. I said, I, I thought you love children. <laughs> then, got to be patient, uh, listen to her. So how? But, you know, whenever there's a child that's bullied, I will, I will go and look after the child. Whenever the child, you know, uh, very quiet, you know, I'll, I'll go, you know, a special needs child, I will go, you know. I say, ah, not one to many, it's one to one. One to one means, okay, child psychology, special needs, maybe speech therapy. And then talk to a few people. In the end, narrowed down speech therapy. And if you see the next photo, she graduated with good honours. But she wasn't studying for the marks. She was studying hard because she wanted to help children. And now she's working in a hospital, working with children. The next slide is a cartoon. I love this. For a fair selection, everybody has to take the same exam. Please climb that tree. I don't know about you, but is it fair? You know, if God looked down at every one of us, all of us are uniquely and wonderfully made. All of us have unique talents and gifts. So we have to be careful when we look at our children. They're not the same as another child. Never say, because your cousin do it, you should also be able to do it, right? And of course, from Albert Einstein, the genius himself, he said, everybody is a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. I spoke to many prisoners over those 17 years. Everyone felt they were stupid because of the words said to them. But if they're stupid, how come they can be a gang leader? There must be something very special, right? Now this verse, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I must say that I have misinterpreted this verse for a number of years as a young father in those days. Because I thought it is train up a child in the way that I want him to go. I never be a doctor. I want my son to be a doctor. I never do this. I want him to play piano. I want my You know, my son... I thought I never had the opportunity, so he did some ins- musical instruments. Then, of course, he dropped almost everything. Then one day, as a teenager, picked up a ukulele and started to play ukulele. I said, son, remember, I think you know how to press the string because when you're young, I sent you for violin class. You know, he said, he looked at me and said, that never mentioned violin class again. Huh? <laughs> Traumatic for him. I realized this verse actually means train up the child in the way that God wants him to go in the way that God wants my daughter to go. Children, compassion, not in the way that 
I want him to go. So as parents, we are supposed to turn our hearts to our children to the point where we can recognize the gifting and the talents that God has deposited into our children and help our children to unlock and discover those gifts. And many of these gifts, the school never give marks. This verse, let us go back to this verse again. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. There are versions, NIV version, etc. They talk about turning hearts of fathers to the children. I think it is very special because very often between mother and father, it is the mother that are more likely to turn her heart to the child rather than the father. Father always very distracted. I have one reason because when my daughter was uh, not born yet, still in the mother's womb, my, my wife said, you know, Jason, pray for your daughter, pray for your child, you know, pray for Sarah. It's like, I don't know how to pray. Then she said, you know, Sarah is kicking, Sarah is moving in the womb, right? I said, I don't feel anything. So maybe that's why moms are so attached to the child, so involved, because the mom feel the child, carry the bowling ball for nine months. Uh, so fathers, I think we need to make an extra effort to turn our heart to our children. And uh, I think one of the problems is that we don't recognize the important role that we are playing. You know, when the principal was at the school sent a letter home, uh, dear parents, you know, what will, what, what would a father do? Dear parents. The school sent a letter, dear parents, what would the father do? Pass to the wife. So nowadays must say, dear father and mother. Now, the, what the research say about the father's impact on children? Cognitively, there are benefits. Social, emotional, there are benefits. Of course, I'm more interested in the right side, at risk behaviors. Meaning, if fathers are involved with their children positively, there'll be less need for police officers and prison officers. Let us now hear what do children say about fathers. The verse say, turn hearts of fathers to the children so that the land will not be cursed. The research say fathers are important. But what do the children say about fathers? This was a video that I did when my son was only P1 or P2. I was preparing to launch the National Dads for Life movement. So how am I going to engage fathers? How am I going to reach fathers? And the principal asked me, Jason, can you help to gather the fathers in uh, St. Hilda's Primary School? I said, sure, I can help do that. But then how do I talk to them? Then God gave me the uh, idea of uh, interviewing some of these children and ask them what they think about their dads. But before I show you the video, two things I want to mention. One is, uh, see whether you recognize my son. Okay, he's in the video. And the other thing is this. One of the children actually mentioned this name, Mas Salamat Kastari. You know who is Mas Salamat? Okay, if the older ones will not hate the younger ones, uh, don't know what you're talking about. So Mas Salamat almost uh, put a bomb in one of the MRT stations to blow up the station. He was a terrorist, a local terrorist, but now he's uh, under detention. Uh, the one that escaped to Malaysia, right? Remember? And then in the end, he was caught. So let's watch this video and uh, let us hear from these children what they think about fathers. There are a few heroes in my life and they are... Uh, my hero is... Uh, my superhero is... My hero is... My hero is... I don't like superheroes.
I think my, my mother is my superhero. Uh, my superhero is my mother. My hero is God. I don't have a superhero, but I think the biggest villain in the whole world is Masalamak Kastari. Uh, my hero is my, my dad. <laughs> because my dad is always there for me, and no matter how busy his schedule is, he always makes sure that he has time to spend with my brother and me. I think my daddy looks like a very old man. Old blah blah kind. I want to be a prison officer like him. I think my father is my hero because he, he he's a role model to me and he sets very good examples for, for me and my family to follow. He is my father in a biased view, but he's a very strong character because my mother passed away when I was primary one. He, he will take some time to teach us. He'll come home every night and have dinner with us because he believes that it's a family bonding time. My hero is God and my father. Every day when he when he comes back, he will carry me and say hello, and he will spend and he'll try to tell me stories. And I like him to carry me because he's he's like my hero and. father to spend more time with me and my brothers. He seldom does that and he's sometimes too busy. I usually like him to do more, more father and son bonding time with me. My father's usually very busy. He's, he's usually coped up with quite a lot of work. I like my daddy to play board games more often with me. I like him to maybe spend... Actually, he spends a lot of time with us already, so... Maybe he'll like to take his own free time of his own, spend some time with his friends. I really like to go out with him and take short walks in the park or something like that. But he's actually quite busy and he can't really afford to take the leave and bring me out. him to chase me to do things faster. I would like my father to scold me less. I wish that he beats me less. I don't want my daddy to always work so late. I would like him to stop talking that much because sometimes I can't really catch what he's saying. I do not like my daddy to make fun of me. And he like and I don't like my daddy to come and tickle me every night when I sleep. And I don't like my daddy to squeeze my brother. And my, but my brother enjoys it, but I, but I don't like my daddy to do that to him. I hate my dad to scold me. I don't want my daddy to always scold me. that my father bring me to the zoo. I wish for my dad will buy me a Barbie doll on my birthday. I wish that they will stop arguing. My family will be happy. My younger brother will be in one session. I wish my dad would not read his newspaper and play with me.
You know, one time I showed this video in the army camp to a bunch of uh, men, men, commanders and uh, leaders. At the end of it, uh, the commander seated next to me in front. He stood up, he turned around and said, Okay, all you fathers, anybody want to take leave, apply leave, I will grant you approval straight away. <laughs> At that time, I showed it uh, to uh, junior college. I gave a talk, so I also showed this video. And at the end of the talk, one 17-year-old boy came up to me and said, uh, Mr. Jason, can I get a copy of this video? I said, why? What do you want it for? He said, I want to show my father. I said, why do you want to do that? He said, when I was growing up, very often I want to have conversations with my dad, just to spend time with him to talk. But he never did that. So maybe after watching this video, he will start talking to me more often. You know, a lot of young people, teenagers, they actually want they're waiting for the hearts of the dads and the moms to turn towards them. Now, as a result of what God say, Malachi 4, 5, 6, what the research say and what the children say, that's for life was launched in 2009. I'm sure I showed a video to my minister and to my bum set. And of course, uh, that's for life, this logo, let me give you a bit of a, there's a story behind it. Before I even called it that's for life, I didn't know what to call it. It's a national father's movement, turn hearts of fathers to the children. And then I spoke in the church and at the end, one gentleman came up to me and said, Jason, I heard you. I believe this is of God to turn hearts of fathers to the children. What can I do to help you? I said, what do you do in the marketplace? He said, I'm a managing director of a PR company, public relations. I said, then maybe you can use your expertise. He said, sure, I can give you a branding proposal, a logo free of charge, pro bono. Went away, went back to office and told his staff, a few hands raised, volunteered for this project. All were fathers. Came back a few weeks later, presented the logo. Of course, I presented it to my bosses. And um, when I first saw it, I saw Malachi 4.5.6. The heart of the father turned towards the children, the children pointing towards the future. One generation supposed to turn our hearts to the next generation and help them to find and fulfill their destiny. So nowadays, whenever I see a cardical, I see Malachi 4.5.6. The original logo, just for your information, there was only uh, one child. So as we presented the logo, one of my senior bosses said, you know, I think we need at least another child in the logo. Yeah. I said, should I put three or four or five, right? Two also not enough now. <laughs> um, now, am I a dad for life? I talk about importance of turning hearts of parents to the children, turning hearts of fathers to the children. But I can tell you, my heart was not always turned towards my own family. Let me tell you a story with my wife's permission, of course. Uh, there was a time I was uh, very busy. I was uh, preparing to launch Yellow Ribbon Project. I was the CEO of SCORE, a statutory board. Um, I attended a meeting. The meeting wasn't going too well. I almost wanted to bang the table and walk out. But I'm a nice guy. I don't look like the type that bang tables, right? So if you don't bang table, what do you do? You bottle up everything inside. Sooner or later, it needs to be released. So I come home, depending on the individual, sometimes we let go in a loud and a harsh and a noisy manner. Sometimes we just release it in front. No, man, I attracted the boxes. iPod, iPad, refrigerator, television, newspapers. We attracted the boxes. I was attracted to my box. The television. So I need to relax, I need to de-stress. And uh, I was watching American Idol, actually, at that time. You know, the first few episodes, they cannot sing when they sing, cannot dance when they dance, make you laugh when you're happy. So I was de-stressing, but my wife came out of the room and said, Jason, come home, watch TV, never help me with the children, you know, always watch TV. I look at her. 
I didn't say anything because I didn't want to burden my wife with all my work problems. So I turned away and continued to watch. And uh, that night, of course, we didn't talk. We had a little quarrel, a silent quarrel. Next day, I went back to work and uh, in the middle of the day, I was clearing my email and I saw my wife send me an email. Why send me email? I want to talk, go home and talk, but no choice. Click, long email some more. And then she was just complaining. Yesterday she was busy doing this, doing that, bring the mom to see a doctor. However, I come home, watch TV, never help her, blah, 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 blah. So in my head, I was, you know, I was a civil servant. Any civil servants here? You receive complaints once in a while, right? What do you do when you receive a complaint? Reply law. Standard complaint, standard reply. This one was not a standard complaint. So I have to craft. I was thinking how to reply to my wife. Okay, never mind. I'll tell her that I also have a terrible day. Well, you have a terrible day. I also have a terrible day. I didn't tell you because I love you. I don't want to bother you. I just watch TV. Anyway, I was preparing this long email and then the Lord stopped me. I heard a voice. God said, Jason, I thought you wanted to be a good husband. You wanted to be a good father. Then I said, God, watch TV also cannot, man. God said, you should have come to me, not your television. I said, that's true, huh? So I took up my phone. I said, I'm sorry. I will never watch TV again. Sad. After I sent, I regretted straight away. <laughs> you know why? Because the government scholar Jason Wong said, I, I should have said, I will never watch American Idol again. <laughs> got X Factor, got American, got talent, got Britain's got talent, so many other shows to watch. Right? Oh, I would, should have said, I never, I will never watch so much TV again. Why did I say I'll never watch TV again? No, I went to withdraw straight away. Anyway, I went to the last paragraph. And she said, Jason, everybody knows you. Everybody respects you. Outside, when you go to the streets, sometimes ex-prisoners bring their wife, bring their children, come and thank you. However, how you are at home, nobody knows. Watch TV only, right? But anyway, when husband and wife quarrel, quarrel is like that. And then she said, when we quarrel, she has nobody to talk to. I was thinking, why not? You have uh, your your cell members, your, your family members. And then she went on. She said, when we quarrel, I have nobody to talk to. Because I do not want to tell them our problems. I do not want you to look bad in front of them. I realized my wife was protecting my reputation. In fact, at the time, I still wanted to argue with God. No? I said, God, you know, watch TV also cannot, man. And God said, as Christ loved the church, you shall love your wife. I said, God, you die for your church. You want me to die for my wife? You know what happened? God just remained silent. It's like, God doesn't even want to talk to me anymore. That was how I felt. So I repented before the Lord. In fact, I went inside my office. I have to lock the door because I was the CEO. Outside my door, there's a CEO sign. Eh? So I have to lock it so that I can repent before the Lord. And uh, on my way home, God gave me another Bible verse, which up to today, I still cannot find. Eh? It's this, no point being a hero outside and a zero at home. So I was, uh, I stopped watching TV from that day onwards. And as a result, I have more time for my children. My son, five years younger, benefited. And one time, Father's Day, he wrote me a Father's Day card on post-it pen. Let me blow it up for you to see. I love you, card. And then he went on and said, thanks for reading to me storybooks. Because I have more time at night. I never watched TV already. And the next one, he said, thank you for telling me scary ghost stories. I never knew my ghost stories are so scary. I know pastor will say, how come you tell ghost stories or some leaders here? No, I cannot tell ghost stories. But if I don't tell, he will go and borrow books, you know, and then he will read. So I thought if I tell, I can, you know, if you tell, I can control the ending. Jesus come, you know. (laughs) Angels appeared. 
But the best thing about telling him ghost stories is this, because he wanted to, right? So before we start, uh, he will say, Dad, don't start first. Wait, now, wait. Uh. Then he'll jump off the bed, go and switch off the lights. Then he'll run back, jump onto the bed. Then he'll cover both of us with the blanket. He'll grab me. He'll say, okay, daddy, go. The scarier it gets, the tighter the heart. I really miss those times. The next one, thanks for teaching me my subjects. I don't do that a lot, but he remembered. And the last one, he said, Daddy, thank you for being a good father and organizing the father and child movement. Now, I never, because always, father's movement is about fathers, 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 right? But he got it. It's not about fathers. It's about the child. That's why he called it the father and child movement, because it's about turning house of fathers to the children. You know, one time, a dad, this was just last year, I was sharing in the Anglican church. At the end of the service, this father came up to me. He was an older gentleman already. He said, Jason, I wish I've heard you speak 20 years ago. Full of regrets. Because now his children has turned away from him. So I told him, I said, you know, we can always press the reset button. And then I told him this story about another father from Malaysia. Because three, four years ago, I was in Malaysia conducting a family seminar. At the end, I was supposed to go to the airport to fly back to Singapore. The pastor was supposed to send me, but one of the fathers volunteered. He said, Pastor, it's okay, I will send Jason. So I hopped into the car and this uh, father driver said, you know, Jason, I have ulterior motive why I wanted to send you. <laughs> I thought I stuck for one hour between here and the airport. Then I said, what is your ulterior motive? He said, just now so many people waiting to talk to you. I've got no chance to talk to you. So I decided to send you. Now i got one hour with you. I said, okay, what do you want to talk to me about? And he said, can I have your advice? My son has turned away from me, turned away from the church. I said, actually very simple. Just press the reset button. What do you mean press the reset button? Just say sorry. So I asked him, do you know why your son turned away from you? Turned away from the church? He said, well, you know, I, I was the first generation Christian. After I become a Christian, I brought my wife, I brought my children to church. And I was so excited. But, you know, my son couldn't connect the youth service, the youth group. He didn't connect, no friends. He would find boring and didn't want to come to church. And I forced him to come. And now that he's older, he said, Dad, I'm not going to go anymore. Then I told the father, I said, since you know what was the problem, just say sorry. Lah. You know, we always ask our children, say sorry, say sorry, right? And he said, I did that. I said, when do you do it? He said, two years ago. Two years ago, usually it worked, or no? Then I was just thinking, I got only 30 minutes left, you know, what am I going to do? So I look at him and I say, let's role play. How did you say sorry to, this, to your son two years ago? Okay, I'm your son. Okay, you're the father. What do you say to your son? He said, oh, this is what I did. Lah. I said, son, I brought you to church because I was the first generation Christian. I was so excited about God. You know, you must understand that it's also for your own good one. Then he went on and on. I was like, okay. It seemed seemed that he didn't get it, right? So I said, stop, 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 stop. Can you hear yourself? Then he thought for a while. He said, ah, now I know why. You know, because to us, these are the good reasons. But to our children, these are just excuses. Because what we have done have hurt them. So I told him, I said, this is what you do, okay? You have to say sorry again, but this time you just say, I'm sorry for forcing you to go to church. Will you forgive me? Full stop. The time will come where they will know the reason. The time will come when you will be able to sit down and have those conversations. But for now, we just need to say, I'm sorry. 
and then say, will you forgive me? And we wait. And sometimes we wait for days, sometimes we may wait for weeks. That's the way to press the reset button. Lastly, what if our hearts, the parents' hearts are turned away from our children, meaning absent father, absent mother, we're just not there for our children because of whatever reason. Let's watch this last video. You know, this little bear is fortunate, but I know of many little bears that are not so fortunate because the parents' hearts have been turned away or worse, turned against their own children. You know, the bear could represent a father turning his heart towards his child. You could represent a mother. It could also represent spiritual fathers and mothers because in my mentoring of many young men, I realized that they need father figures and mother figures whose hearts are turned towards them. Let us pray. Father, I pray for all the parents here, fathers, mothers, even spiritual fathers and mothers. I pray that our hearts will always be turned to our children so that Satan cannot come to steal, to kill, to destroy. I pray that we'll be able to look at our children the way you look at them, to help them to discover their gifts and their talents, that they are not exam marks, that they are wonderfully made, uniquely gifted. I also pray, Lord, that um, for those of us whose own mom or dad had not been there for us, own moms and dads who have turned away from us or turned against us as we were growing up. Lord, we pray that you will help us to forgive. And most importantly, you are our Father. Even though our earthly parents may not have turned towards us, but you, our our Father, your heart is always turned towards us. You are the dad for life. So we want to thank you, even as you pour forth your love, We want to receive your love from the cross, your love from heaven, so that it can overflow out of us to our own family members. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.